Welcome to the Jesus Image Podcast. The incarnation of Jesus, Holy Father, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, would you take your Bibles to John 1? I read this last week. I just want to begin here. I read, actually, for those of you who are taking notes, last week we looked at, was that last week? Yeah, it was last week. Genesis 3.15 we looked at. Don't turn there, but you can take that note. That the seed is coming to destroy the head of the serpent through the bruising. And this says so much that a man is coming who is fully God and fully man who will advance this kingdom dominance through suffering and death. And obviously resurrection. However, there is no way into resurrection outside of the incarnate life which must be cross-shaped. Okay? When we think incarnation, as I said last week, I'm wanting your hearts and minds to exceed the scene of the nativity, though it is part of that, obviously. Biblically, when we talk about incarnation, we must start there, that this seed is coming, that God's remedy to solve every issue in the world and in the universe is found in the coming of his holy child. So the quicker we can latch on to the truth that Jesus is the only and sole remedy for every issue, okay, the quicker we find that fire of first love that we're all looking for. Uh, when you are in love with Jesus, you lose every other option. Whether it's physical healing, whether it's the salvation of a soul, whether it's the renewal of the mind, whether it's a nation in, uh, steeped in sin, whether it's a broken marriage, every answer must be found in Jesus. I, I, have I been clear about that over the last two years? All right, because I, I don't know how to be more clear, but... There literally is no other option in God or remedy that God offers. There is nothing he offers that rests outside of his son. I had a dear friend who's hosting meetings uh, in the Midwest and they're bringing in, you know, worship teams. They invited our team and it's in an urban area and they... He had a question because they don't usually preach at these meetings or mostly worship and he just had some questions about the culture of the Trinity. Um, and, and he's like, I've heard you talk about that it is all about Jesus. He said, but what about the Father and what about the Holy Spirit? And why are you guys so into Jesus over there? And I began to talk to him about what the scripture said and the first thing I told him was, it doesn't matter what I think. And, and, and that's really important when we're talking about the Lord. And if we're going to get one thing right as Christians, we have to get Christ right. Like there's no, there's no room to get him wrong. You, you get it? He's patient with so much. You, you know, you travel overseas and uh, 
especially in persecuted areas, they don't have the option to disagree over what a little blogger disagrees with over another camp here in the States because they die if they're not united. (laughs) Over here, you can actually build a career by causing division, hoping you get enough clicks to generate some ad space. That's not the case oftentimes where people die if they experience a lack of unity. Okay, so God looks... Look, if you're a pre-trib guy, have fun dying on that mountain. If you're this or that, have fun dying on that mountain. But one mountain we must all be willing to die on is who is Jesus Christ. It's non-negotiable. Okay, we have to know who he is. So regarding God's connection with humanity, according to scripture, it will forever require the presence and the ministry of the God-man. For man and God to be one, it will forever require the God-man. Is it making sense? So, this God-man has expressed himself and perfectly revealed the Father and the entirety of the Trinity, by the way, because the Bible says he is the express image of God. So if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, look no further than the life of Jesus. If you want to know how he moves somebody who's fully yielded, look at the life of Jesus. If you want to... If you want to understand the Holy Spirit's role in ministry, look at the life of Jesus. He was fully yielded. Do you understand? So, that being said, the Father only knows how to express himself through the Son. Because he is a good Father. Is this making sense? Now, I've said this before, but I think it's a worthy... uh, It's worthy to repeat, and uh, I think it's a very helpful analogy and quite funny, which if you can get all that together in one, why not do it, right? So I told this gentleman who I love so much, his son was involved in athletics at a pretty high level, and they're still involved in that sphere uh, and profession. They're involved in an athletic company. And I said, when your son was out there winning, and there would be a trophy presentation... Uh, how would it look if you, saw, if you or another parent during the trophy presentation ran out while your kid is receiving the trophy, snatched the trophy from him, and scream at the people who are honoring your son, and you tell them, what about me? He goes, you look like a psychopathic dad. I go, oh, exactly. The father is not like that. The father actually glories... When his son is glorified. Because he's a good father. This is the nature of the spirit as well. The Holy Spirit comes according to Jesus to testify of Jesus. And remind us of everything Jesus said. You say, well what would Jesus do if you came to him? He would talk to you about his father. Do you get it? So when you look at the Trinity, you are consumed with selflessness. They're they're all going. 
Huh? So don't get hung up or don't become fearful at the thought that you could glorify Jesus too much. Trust me when I tell you, that is not the church's biggest issue right now. Okay? And to those who are trying to disregard the validity of Holy Scripture, the issue, the greatest issue in the church right now is not that it reads the Bible too much. Trust me. As, as people who run a school of hundreds of students, the one issue we've not bumped into is that they read their Bible too much. I've never met a believer whose greatest weakness is too much scripture. So what I want to say here for our local church family and our family around the world, double and triple and quadruple your time in the scriptures. Because you have an entire culture that's infiltrated, infiltrated the church that is attempting to redefine who Jesus is outside of Holy Scripture. And there does not exist one. It's very convenient to change your theology when you refuse to repent of sin. That's typically what happens if you try to stay in the church long enough and refuse to repent. You have to make yourself feel better by changing holy text. All right? So when we talk about Jesus, it must be scriptural. And when you look at the scriptures, you are blown away by God's answer for every issue. It is that the seed is coming who will redefine what victory looks like. The seed conquers through his own bruising and through that bruising, he deals a fatal blow of crushing to the head of the serpent, which is the opposite of pride. All right? So when we think of incarnation, we must think humility. We think lowliness. We think descending. And that's what I want to get to here. John 1 Verse 14. And by the way, last week I read to you John 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, Zechariah 9.9, your king cometh to you lowly. And then I ended with Ephesians 1. I'd write these down. Verses 22 through 23. Let me give you the passages we touched last week again. Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14, Zechariah 9.9, and Ephesians 1, verses 22 through 23. So now we're going to pick up in John's gospel. And I briefly touched on this last week as well, but I want to go a little deeper. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Say the word, became flesh. That is a vital progression. Flesh, when we talk about the Lord Jesus, did not become the word. This is important if you're going to follow him properly. 
It makes no sense to try to negotiate with God. So lordship and incarnation are very important to see properly. This one who is incarnate has no beginning. All right? And when we talk about the word word, logos in Greek, we are talking about divine expression. The, perf- the perfect declaration of who the Father is. The perfect definition of who the Father is. The Word becoming flesh. Are you tracking? So Jesus has settled the score through his incarnate life. By the Word becoming flesh, you are now gazing upon or I should say, they were gazing upon the image of the invisible God. Amazing. Am I the only one who thinks that's amazing? You say, well, what about us? Equally as amazing are the words of Jesus when he says, it's best that I go. I'm going to get into that later. Because it's not enough just to have him there in the flesh to see him properly. If that were the case, they would have never killed him. We all think, well, you know, I, 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 was in, I remember being in school, or was it some Christian class? I don't know, some environment. I don't remember. <laughs> and uh, they're like, if you could walk with anybody in the Bible, who would it be? And I'm like, I was getting all these weird answers. I was like, no one said Jesus. Like, I would walk with Paul. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that'd be great, but what about the Lord? You know? But I think we often think that if we were walking with the Lord back then in his incarnate form, which, by the way, he's still in his incarnate form. You should thank the Lord for that. If he weren't, you would not keep your salvation. It is the priestly ministry of Jesus that holds your salvation intact. Because when the Father sees him, he sees Aaron and Amy and the entirety of the church. The Father's dealings with humanity literally are filtered through, through the Son's presence at his right hand. That is what we mean when we say he ever lives to intercede for us. It's beyond what's coming out of his mouth in prayer. His embodiment, his being is intercessory. Because he's, he is a man. Do you get it? So the Father's dealings toward humanity flow through his dealings with his Son. So Jesus represents you in the throne room. Whether he verbally mentions your name or not. His being is representative. You get it? All right. So we often think that if we walked with Jesus back then, that, oh, I would have known who he was. I would have never been like the 99% of everyone else who met him. Because I'm way different. I, I would have lost everything to follow him, no problem. Right? I would have seen him in a way that even the disciples didn't see him. I would have seen him much more clearly than Peter. The reality is this, prior to Paul meeting the actual Jesus, 
Paul used the scriptures to kill his followers. He encounters the living Christ on the road to Damascus, takes those same scriptures and reasons with the Jews to prove that Jesus is Lord. What's the bridge? An encounter with Jesus. And if Paul needed it, I mean, if you ask, what changed Paul's life? What, what, what gives his encounter with Jesus? And what that tells me is it's impossible to see the text rightly unless I'm looking for Jesus. And it's impossible to see Jesus rightly unless I use the text. You need both. So this new thing, like, you know, if you're too into the Bible... We just need to be about Jesus. Right, but that's not subjective. That's not, we're not going to create this pliable Play-Doh that we form in our own image. No, 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 no. He is the image of the invisible God declared to us through the prophets and the apostles. That's what the church has believed for 2,000 years. And let me just say, that's where this church is going if it costs us our life. We are not coming off of who Jesus is according to the word of God. Not doing it. Not doing it. I'd rather wash golf carts. I used to do that. (laughs) All right. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Romans 1, verses 3 through 4. Are you all enjoying this? I am. Romans 1, verses 3 through 4, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was a descendant of David, so he comes from David's line, according to the flesh. We're speaking of his humanity. He came from David's line according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. So here we see Paul touching on his humanity and his deity. That he comes from David's line, therefore called son of David. And how many of you know, when you look at what's going on in the Middle East right now, how badly we need the greater king from David's line to come and rule and reign. If you study this situation long enough, I mean, Jesse's family is from Israel. You study this long enough. I mean, last night I spent hours just molding through again and, and thinking of the hour we're in. The only remedy is the gospel and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This thing is too big for a man. It's always been too big for a man. So we believe as Christians that a greater king than David is coming. From David's line. And the Jews expected that. So when they say, Hosanna to the son of David, they are believing and they are declaring that a Messiah must come from David's line. So when we speak of incarnation and his humanity, It comes through the Lord's covenant with David. He is declared to be son of God 
by his resurrection. He doesn't, he's not part-time son of God and part-time human. But the, his resurrection, according to Romans 1, is telling us that he's perfect. And only God is perfect. Scripture teaches that only God is without sin. And notice, Elijah did not walk into Jesus' tomb to raise him. Neither did John the Baptist or Isaiah or Jeremiah. Jesus sat up in his own glory. Because he's perfect. And only God is perfect. So the resurrection declares this Jesus, this one who has come from David's line is perfect. He is the Lord. Say incarnation. Now, Paul recognizes Jesus' humanity through his ancestry as a descendant of King David. And he recognizes his deity as the unique son of God that is proven by his resurrection. It's that clear. Now Romans, actually, uh, my son Benny said, he said, Baba, you got to read this verse to them. And it's not my notes, but we're going to do it because it's a great verse. Go to John 17. Again, when we think incarnation, we're not thinking man becoming man. Okay? It's really important. Because sometimes we get so hung up on his humanity that the incarnation itself loses its glory. He came from above. The word is made flesh. That is the progression. The fancy term for that is a Christology from above. Or a high Christology. Remember what Jesus said, or what John said about Jesus. He is preferred before me because he was before me. Make sense? So we're not reading about a mere man, and this is what the Lord uh, says here in John 17. In fact, I will begin in verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. What hour is he talking about? Say the cross. cross. Say incarnation. incarnation. Say this, the incarnation, the incarnation. is cross-shaped. Cross -shaped. Always. Always. Say this, glory, glory. is cross-shaped. Cross Always. So Jesus here is introducing uh, what he deems to be glorious, the hour coming to lay his life down. You say, why do you talk about this so much? I'll tell you. Christianity, the life, I should say, a life of Christianity is defined by Christ. Our view of the Christian faith is forever connected to our view of Christ Jesus. So we don't have a view of discipleship that is not found in him. He embodies our faith. He embodies what it looks like to follow the Lord. So if Jesus connects the hour approaching to glory, what I would say to you is us laying our life down 
is glorious. And it's the antithesis of what Satan does. Jesus comes down, puts on flesh. Satan wants to exalt himself and go up. Do you get it? In God's economy, you don't go up until you come down. And the reason you are secure enough to come down is because you are from the ancient past and you're from above. You have nothing to prove. So he who is eternal has no problem taking on lowliness through becoming a man. While Satan, who is created and is not eternal, finds his purpose in lifting himself up. Therefore, he's thrown down. Jesus willingly comes down. It's way different. The secure in Jesus can go as low as they know to go. They're not for sale. They'll do anything. They don't need visibility. In church life, they don't see it as a burden to serve. They actually see that as being part of what it looks like to be like Jesus. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. You ready? And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is not existing forever. It's not what it means. It doesn't mean to just be forever. Eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. How do I know that? People in hell right now are existing forever. That is not eternal life. Okay? Eternal life is to know the Lord. To deeply know Him. It's to realize that your entire... Don't you feel the Lord in a beautiful way this morning? It's to realize that the entirety of your person has been designed to commune with the Lord. Your body as a living sacrifice, as an offering to the Lord. Therefore, presenting our bodies, as the scripture teaches, is the rightful service unto God. Why? Because he redeemed us, as Paul writes in Romans, in grace and liberated us. What's the right response? Take my body as a living sacrifice. That's why God cares about your sexual purity. That's why God cares about that, because it's a sin against the body. Uh, we are not agnostics. We actually believe that God cares about the body. So much so that he will raise it from the dead and give us a new one. It's part, oh man, it's part of the reason Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. Yes, he was moved. But he realized that's not what that is for. That body is not meant to decay. It does because of sin. But it's not my heart's desire. The day is coming where you'll get a new body. And through my resurrection, you'll receive your own. It matters. Your body matters to the Lord. Beloved, I wish above all things you'd prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. God cares about your soul. Your mind. God wants you. Listen, this might sound like it belongs in the children's book. One day I might just teach you all right out of that children's book. It would be a good place to bring us back to our beginnings. All right. 
God wants you to think about it. I know that sounds just so basic. He wants you to think about him a lot. Because he knows what happens. You start thinking about him, you're going to take that little slide straight down into his glory. He knows where it ends. We typically don't when we start that journey. Oh, you know, you're driving in the car, you're thinking about Jesus. You have all these issues, you're facing problems, whatever it might be. You think about Jesus and he lifts your head. He's the glory and the lifter of your head. In that five minutes that you signed up for, you, you didn't know you actually signed up for like two hours of fellowship where he forms himself in you. Can start with a thought. That's what the Bible teaches. Meditate. Meditate on his law. Meditate day and night. You're about to go somewhere, Joshua said. You've never been before. Meditation has become like this curse word in the, in the Western evangelical culture. The Lord instructs us to meditate upon his law. And the Hebrew there implies a chewing, a slow chewing, a partnership until his word becomes part of our bone marrow. It also implies a constant repeating of. Why? He wants our minds to prosper. Fear and anxiety rest where we meditate on whatever we see as being bigger than Jesus. When we magnify the Lord, we're not making him bigger. We're just seeing him rightly in comparison to whatever threatens and whatever comes our way. So that matters, this renewal of the mind. God designed you to fellowship with him and to have your mind renewed until, listen, you actually experience at a rapid rate a holy word called sanctification. I'll stop there on that one. Your spirit is married to the Lord. The Bible says, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with the Lord. When you are born again, your spirit and the Holy Spirit are more united than the air particles you're breathing in right now. So God cares. And this is what he's after. He's wanting to form his son in us. But I want the vision to be proper. What I want for you is for you to have a biblical end goal which looks like glory through the cross. So th there's no way of bypassing the tree. I'm just telling you. Like, honestly, there is no way in to joy unspeakable on a daily basis without daily death. This is eternal life that they might know you with our entirety, the entirety of our being, which is really the fulfillment of the first and great commandment, that we would love the Lord with all our mind, soul, heart, and strength. The only true God in Jesus whom, whom, whom you've sent, let's, let's look at verse four. I have glorified you on the earth and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Well, he hadn't gone to Calvary yet, but he had in his heart. 
Do you get it? Because he came as the one to die. That Jesus is crucified before the foundations of the world. Done in the heart of God. Here Jesus is living a life that's fully yielded. That's why I showed you that image. One of the reasons I showed you that image last week of the early iconographer who sketched out the nativity scene where Jesus isn't wrapped in swaddling cloths. Of course he was. But in the early church artwork, we see that he's act there using his swaddling cloths to actually look like grave clothes. So there's that little baby in that picture wrapped in grave clothes in the manger. It's the early church's way of saying he has come to die. This is what incarnation looks like. Resurrection through death to die again, to be raised again, to die again. Not in actuality. Jesus died and was raised for once and once for all. We die daily. And this is the pulse and flow of the Christian life. Verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me, listen, together with yourself, okay, with what? With the glory which I had with you before what? Now, when people say Jesus never claimed to be God, um, yeah. What are they? What are they talking about? You know, here Jesus is saying, "Before there was a world, we were together, and you and I shared glory. Glorify me with the glory which I had with you before the world was." Say the word became flesh. That's very humble. I said, that's very humble. 1 John 4, 2. Can I have five more minutes? And I hope as you are hearing the word of God that your hearts are now being prepared to receive uh, the body and blood of Jesus in just a few minutes. I want you on the edge of your seat in faith as you will walk forward in just a few minutes to receive the elements. But I want you to look at 1 John 4, 2. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. During John's day, you had multiple heresies going on in the church, one of which was to say that Jesus did not have a real body, that he had the form of a body. Another heresy was that he came like as a phantom. Another was, which these still exist today in certain uh, heretical environments, one was that he uh, is not the Lord, that he's created. And that's what uh, Athanasius and the church fathers resisted against the uh, Arian movement. Arius was propagating that the word is a creation. And so you have fathers come along and go, hold on, if the word is a creation, how does his blood wash us all clean? How can a creation restore the image of creation? 
So the fathers of the church said, hold on, you got it all wrong. The only one who can restore creation back to the image of God is God. So the efficacy or the power of his blood is absolutely connected to his perfection. If his blood is tainted, you are in your sin. So here John is saying, this is how you know the spirit of God is at work. Because he's dealing with all these issues. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. See, when we say Jesus Christ, we think that's the Lord's last name. First and last name. His last name is Christ. He got that, but you know. No, it's telling us who he is. So when we say Jesus Christ came in the flesh, let's back up and talk about what John is saying. Jesus, Yehoshua, first of all, is the Lord. So we're going to put this all together right now, and then I'm going to pray with you. He is the Lord, Yehoshua. The Lord who does what? He is our salvation. Not does. Actually, it's who he is. He is the Lord, our salvation. So every time I say Jesus, I am saying he is Adonai. All right, so you're going to see the entirety, I shouldn't say entirety, a mass accurate confession of who the Lord is just by saying Jesus Christ. It reveals who he is. He's the Lord. He's God. He saves us as the seed to come who had to become man. And he's also the Christ. Again, that's not his last name. Or his middle name, in case you thought his last name was of Nazareth. It's not that either, all right? It is to say, when we say Christ or Christos, this is what we're saying. You are the rightful king. Let's put it together. You are the Lord. Well, you don't have to repeat it, but... All right. You are the Lord, okay, who is my salvation. You, also, you are also the Christ, which means you are rightful king, not just of Israel, not just of the nations, not just of my church. You're my king. You reserve the right as, listen, the divine king. And there's only one divine king. As the divine king, by me calling you Christ, you reserve the right to tell me what to do. And to tell me what not to do, even if I disagree with you. Because I am not divine, and I am not the king. So now we're introduced to lordship, just with the word Christ. Kingliness, just with the word Christ. Because he is Christ, he's also the lathered one. The oily one. You cannot be a king without being coronated. And you're coronated with oil. And John writes in his gospel, this one who the Spirit remains upon is the one who can baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Never been anyone like that before. All in the word Christ. King, Lord, and the one who baptizes me in the Spirit. Amazing. The Christ, biblically, had to be a man. And God. All of that is wrapped up in this. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So John is saying, 
If you have a version of him that is not the Lord, oh, I feel the anointing. If you have a version of him that is not him being the Lord or God, if you have a version of him that is not becoming, uh, that is not him as king, that is not him as, as the rightful Lord of your life, that is not him as the only one qualified to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and if you think that person did not come in the flesh, if you don't believe all that, it is not the Holy Spirit. So what John is saying here, this is how, listen up, this is how you will know that what you are believing is from the Holy Spirit. This is how you'll know. Did you get Jesus right? Not did you get a prophetic word right? Not were you a little more accurate today than last week? Did some guy read your mail or... Look, I've seen them come and I've seen them go. The ones who make it to the end are the ones who have fallen in love with the Jesus of the Bible. I want to make it to the end. I've seen masses. I've seen stadiums fill. I've seen this. I've seen that. I'm telling you. And then I've also sat with the Oral Roberts and the Rex Humbards until their latter years in life. And I'm telling you, I watched the progression. I'm watching it happen to Pastor Benny. They are falling in love with the Jesus of the word. Why don't we start there and stay there? Amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe to help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel. Give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image, events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv.